Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking about tabletop role-playing games and tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. We'll be talking today about spicing up combats and making for exciting fights, which is a major part of any role-playing game, so it's something we wanted to cover. In the studio today, I am Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional DM. And Ed. And Garm. Yes, for those of you who remember our old guest host, Garm is in the studio today as well. He's the Garmiest. He will not be contributing significant amounts to our discussion because he is, in fact, a dog. Today's topic was actually sparked off from a comment on one of our Facebook page asking about what asking about how to scale monsters and make combats more exciting. So we decided to have a little bit of a discussion about that. And as we were talking about it in our pre-show talk, we decided it would be a really good topic to touch on and bring up a little information. Combat is such a major part of games. It's built in. There's usually the largest chapter in the rule book is on combat. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of dice rolling. It's exciting. It's fun. And unfortunately, if you're doing it too much, it can start to turn into a chore. So we wanted to talk a little bit about ways that you can make it more exciting, make it so that your group doesn't feel like they're slogging through something that's required. And instead, they're having fun playing a game. So let's start off with Jared. Uh, what would be your number one tip for how to spice up combats for your players. Location, location, location. Just like when you're buying a house, not only do you want to look at the house, you know, as you know, the house being the combat, but you want to look at where it exists. The location, the environment, the battle map is one of the key factors in any combat encounter. It should not just be a backdrop. It should not just be, you know, the, the background image. It should be a part of the encounter, contributing to the encounter. Depending on your location and the way things are set up, you know, it should very much be its own component, you know. So if you have like, you know, your typical blank slate, kind of like, you know, the grassy plains, then anyone can do whatever they want. You know, the rangers or the range people can stay back and shoot with no obstacles. The melee can charge up with no obstacles. It's okay. You know, it's kind of your standard atypical, you know, scenario, but it's it's very boring, you know, much, much more boring than, say, you know, you're in a active volcano you know shearing you know dealing with you know traversing cliffs and you know magma everywhere and falling off a cliff or you know you know underwater encounters or you know again just being on the edge of a cliff face with you know miles to the the ground you know any any kind of situation where you can spice up the encounter, add obstacles, and the, you know the battle map itself is really just part of the encounter. It's it's really just a part of not just the environment literally, but the environment um, so much as what you have to overcome. Uh, you know, even if you again like um, earlier today, we were playing a game that I was running, and instead of just having the encounter take place in a, your your atypical city square. 
to spice it up, my plan was to set one of the houses on fire. One, uh, the way, coincidentally, it worked out, one of the players set the house on fire. But it was actually my intention from square one before we even start, you know, rolled initiative was for this house to be aflame, to kind of just mix things up, kind of just make it a little bit more interesting, have it be another little obstacle there, something something else to deal with. Uh, again, a player ended up igniting the house, which, you know, worked for me because then I didn't have to do it. Um, but that mixes it up. Just, just little things like that. Having a flaming house in your town square is more exciting than having a town square. You know, it's one more thing for them to deal with, whether they are trying to put it out, whether they're trying to control it, whether they're worried about the, the people that may or may not be inside, <laughs> you know, or maybe the, the fight could, you know, move from in, you know, from the town square to in the building. And all of a sudden you're inside this flaming building and trying to dodge, you know, flaming debris and not get caught in there and smoke inhalation. And there's a lot of factors you can deal with, you know, that you could, you could play around with. Wow. All these ex- examples and descriptions descriptions and ideas it's almost as if that's exactly what happened in the game <laughs> um, I, I, I do agree that that a location an interesting story an interesting environment can really help spice it up I think you want to be careful not to overuse that if every fights on the inside of a volcano or on top of a speeding train or underwater it's going to very quickly the special is going to become boring so right. I think you have to have times occasionally where you have just meeting on a road or a field or you get all standard dungeon crawl just so that those special environments look even more special compared to the boring stuff or pseudo boring stuff that they're doing every now and then as well. Yeah. There's an old saying out there. Less is more, you know, uh, you, uh, you don't always need everything to be special. If you do it that way, then nothing is ever special. But in these situations, when you are looking for that special moment to try to spice up the encounters and certainly locations, important, uh, uh, flavoring your monsters can be interesting. I know Jerry, I know you want to touch on that. Uh, uh, another one, um, that can help out uh, is obstacles. You know, you mentioned the burning house, you know, in this case, um, the characters didn't realize until after the fight was over that maybe there were people inside, but in other instances, maybe they're, you know, or maybe the what's burning down is an orphanage. So you have to, you know, save the kids while trying to fight the evil monsters or, you know, actually in classic D and D style, I do believe we realized about the potential people inside during the combat. It's just, it was more important that things were trying to kill us. <laughs> at true. The time. True. But certainly obstacles, you know, maybe, uh, uh, maybe you have to, you know, maybe you have to cross some sort of chasm to get to the, to the, uh, to the enemy, you know, or get inside the dungeon. And maybe there's still, like some flying creatures that are messing with you while you do that. You know, uh, maybe you do have to scale some sort of, you know, dangerous ledge or something like that. Or maybe you have to run across the rooftops, you know, to, you know, you're, you have some rogue maybe trying to get away and he's running across the rooftops trying to get to him. Yeah, I consider obstacles to be very much part of you know, the yeah. the environment, you know, and that's the big thing is like, because it's not really so much as like the colors on the page, you know, like for the lava or the, you know, the flowers or the rocks, but so much as like 
what do they mean to the combat? You know, so right. if you have a plain open field where any melee can charge up without an obstacle or any you know, ranged person can choose to stay back without any obstacles, then they you know, obviously you have free reign. The environment's not affecting anything. But if you have a junkyard uh, where there's tons of cover, so range attacks are less effective and you can easily or not so much easily, but like, you know, with some work, you can take a round, run up to behind this rock, then run up behind that rock, you know, maintain maintaining cover while closing distance and you know, uh, and eventually getting to the enemy without having to worry about taking a hailstorm of arrows. That's a much different scenario. I mean, you're, you might be slowing down the melee, but you're also giving them cover. Right. So range attack is less effective. Eventually, it's going to all turn into a melee kind of, you know, like, you know, kibosh. Whereas the other end of that, you have, like you mentioned, the chasm. Say there's a big canyon between, you know, the enemy and the hero, then it's going to turn into a range attack. You know, the melee guys are going to be sitting there like, put me in, coach, put me in, coach, but you're going to be having, you know, arrows flying back and forth and spells flying back and forth and it's pretty much going to stay at range the whole time with, like, very little chance of melee, you know, happening at all. So, by setting those, you know, those environments, you kind of know how the combat's going to typically progress. Okay, am I going to be you know, pushing back on the melee? Am I going to be encouraging range? And am I going to be hindering the range? Am I going to be hindering or hindering melee? You know, you have control over how the battle will typically unfold by putting, you know, by the the locale that you set them in. And even what you say there, those are things you want to consider while either building a dungeon or planning out encounters or even just, you know, I want to spice this up is, you know, maybe you're always doing things where the melee guys, you know, have an advantage where they're always being able to get in a melee and just crush things and do their thing. So you decide, okay, well, I, I want a range specific encounter, you know, so build something like that, you know, uh, maybe you're at the bottom of a Canyon and there's people above shooting down Well, the melees, I mean, what are they going to do? You know, so they can try to climb the cliff, but they're going to take a couple of turns to climb. Exactly. The cliff. It's going to take some time, you know, uh, or, you know, if it may be a different sort of uh, scenario, uh, maybe it's a, it's a superhero game and you got people who are flying and shooting, you know, the, the big brute might not be able to make it to them all the time. But, you know, your your flyers and your ranged characters can can help take them out, you know, that sort of thing. But he can still throw cars. Yes. Yes. He can still throw cars. Um, I actually, that brings into one of the other points that I wanted to bring up that I think is very important for splicing up the encounters is having the antagonists that your PCs are facing act intelligently. Mm-hmm. If you're in a situation like you mentioned earlier with the junkyard where they're running from cover to cover, for me, that's a perfect example of maybe the ranged characters that they're trying to approach. I'm going to hold my action until he comes out of cover and then I'm going to get my free get my shot when he's not behind the rocks right? and people realizing that, Oh, the enemies aren't just firing blindly. They're actually preparing. They're waiting for us. They're setting traps. They're using the environment to their advantage as well. If we want to challenge them, we need to step up our game and do the same. And that's going to force your players to think tactically about the environments, how they can use it to their advantage and how they can use their own abilities to their best advantage. And depending on what kind of boss you have set up for the encounter, maybe the boss, you know, he is a boss, but he also appears in various locations throughout the dungeon. I had in a game that I ran once, there was uh, this uh, really kind of disgusting barbarian rogue build that I put together. And uh, he was just running around. He'd show up, he'd shank somebody, and then he'd he'd run off, you know. And they'd, they'd try to follow him, 
But in part, they were also distracted by his minions, which were just crazy people who were coming to attack him. He, he took over a loony bit or something like that. But, but the whole idea is, like, every, you know, couple of rounds, he'd just come out of nowhere, he'd shank somebody, and then he'd leave. And then he ended up being the boss fight. So he got to do a ton of damage as they're approaching. So at the end of the fight, even though they're basically just slaughtering CR nothings, you know, you got you got this, you know, big encounter and they have to keep their eyes open and try to follow him. And yeah, sure, you can you can go through the, you know, the uh, the, the the tight squeeze tunnel that this guy's, you know, a- able to navigate freely. Go ahead. I think that's a big thing in general. Uh, I think a lot of DMs underestimate their creatures or they're worried about overplaying, you know, the the NPCs or the monsters. But if you follow the tactics, especially like, you know, you look at like D&D 5th edition, there's usually at least a paragraph on like typically how these creatures think, behave and, you know, and fight. So there's a little bit of information there if you can't figure it out on your own. And almost every single creature has its own special little ability that doesn't really exist in any class anywhere, but it has its own little you know racial monster or specific trait like you know goblins can do skirmishing and stuff like that which is kind of like a rogue-esque you know um cunning action but if you take advantage of that you can really just do a lot of you know damage so to speak or you know or make it a lot more difficult on the party you know one of the best encounters we i've run you know for our group was just and jerry talks about it every now and then is just a couple hobgoblins couple goblins and a wolf you know or a couple wolves you know goblins were just had you know uh, elevation on some rocks pegging off their short bows some of the goblins that were on the ground were just popping in and out of bushes you know with their dagger and backstabbing people the hobgoblins were just on chilling there formation in formation taking advantage of their stats wolves were trying you know gnawing on people's ankles and trying to pull them down prone and stuff like that and it just mm-hmm. they all there was a big synergy between the group you know it was clear that they had worked together before you know like and they were all just taking advantage of their racial traits and working together not only taking advantage of their full ability but taking advantage of the abilities of the other monsters in their unit all around them and working as a unit and even though it was just a bunch of low-level CRs, I gave a, a, a group of fifth levels, I think they were. I gave them a pretty good run for their money. You know? Those were like seventh. Yeah, but, I mean, no one was in real jeopardy of dying, but they it was a run for their money. You know, like yeah. they, they had to work for it. Um, actually, you did bring up a point um, that I'm going to have to expand on a little bit by bringing up something that nobody wants to hear about, um, and that is you talked about the role of the monsters being discussed in the Monster Manual and for Dungeons and Dragons and bringing up fourth edition. I know people <laughs> don't necessarily like it. I know, I know you guys are kind of neutral and I actually enjoyed very much the group that I had that played fourth edition, but there in fourth edition, every monster was assigned a type. Uh, there's lurkers, there's artillery, there's skirmishers, there's soldiers, there's brutes. Um, there's like eight or nine different types of monsters. And if you read that, each type of monster has, this is what they would try to do in a fight. This is how this, you know, a skirmisher is going to try to pop in and out of melee. A lurker is going to hide and ambush. An artillery is going to hang back and shoot. And learning those different categories and the behaviors on how they perform, you can start to look at other groups and say, okay, this is, it's, fifth edition you know we're not in fourth edition anymore but an ogre is still a brute type category you know if we have goblin archers those are falling under the artillery and you can use that that information in the fourth edition books to kind of get a 
an idea of the tactics if you're running dry yourself so that you can have something come up and be able to figure out what to do without really having to rack your brain too hard. Yeah, you want to use you in, in a lot of in a lot of uh, combats. A, a lot of GMs might forget that you know you use their stats, and one of their stats is their intelligence. And most humanoid creatures have an intelligence. Yes, we like to joke around. You know, they're all they're all stupid, and maybe, maybe they might act stupid at some points. You know, orcs can be outsmarted. Any any of them can be outsmarted. But when you actually look at the stat block, it's usually somewhere around eight to ten. You know, uh, in some cases it might be a little bit higher, but usually somewhere around eight to ten. That's that might be a little bit low, but it's basically average. I mean, these these are people who on the on average can come up with tactics anyone else could really come up with. So they don't have to just slog into combat, you know, and and do that. They can come up with those ambush tactics, those skirmish tactics, and do those things because it's smart. You know, they might want to go kill things and, you know, destroy them and raid places, but, you know, they also kind of want to live. So and if you think of it like that, they want to stay alive, you know, then that can help kind of spice things up. You have if you're able to bring the level of tactics that your monsters use, then that can certainly change an encounter like we've been talking about. I mean, uh, one of the one of the biggest things to me is your, your dragon doesn't fight fair. It can fly. You know, if the player characters are able to trap it or something, you know, if they sneak up on it, no, that's one thing. That's great. Good for them. But I mean, yeah, every, every creature should it have, can fly. Every creature should have a full idea of its own abilities and how it works. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't even look at it being, I mean, in some situations, yes, it's very much an intelligence kind of situation. You know, like, okay, if it's a soldier, you know, if it's a humanoid, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's tactics, especially, you know, working in a unit might be. Based off of his intelligence, but a lot of like a lot of your monsters are quote unquote monsters. You know they're magical beasts or uh, monstrous creatures according to fifth edition style. You know his type. So you're looking at more of like it's almost like their wisdom stat block, which a lot of those animals have a higher wisdom than intelligence, because it's based off of years of evolution and taking advantage of how they've evolved as a creature, as a predator. So they know their own tactics. That you know they know that okay, well I can see in the dark, my prey can. You know I should be able to you know attack them at night. I should be sneaking up on them you know uh one thing uh that um i was reading somewhere and they were talking about different tactics of different creatures and and one of my favorites and totally like it was something that was on my mind and they totally hit home with me was like how ghouls are typically used a lot of people use ghouls like your atypical kind of zombie like they just kind of throw some at you but ghouls in general are actually a very cunning undead even though they're on the lower end of the undead table and they're more of like um they can be like a pack hunter they tend to be pack hunters because they know that they're not that strong but they're also a scavenger so you should be looking at them very much from like a kind of like a hyena kind of standpoint where like they're not going to necessarily just like come at you full bore they're going to look for an opportunity and once don't want a fair fight yeah they absolutely don't want a fair fight but also another interesting point that was made was say you have eight ghouls coming at this party of like six pcs or maybe even like one of them's an npc but whatever so you got eight ghouls coming in they're going to probably attack you in the middle of the night while every while the majority of the group is sleeping and also that that group of eight ghouls while they might have started out as eight that number is probably going to start dropping 
as they start picking people off, like they're going to go for the weakest members first because they don't care. They're not there to prove anything. They're not there to, you know, you know, to inflate their ego. They're there because they're hungry. So they're going to go for whatever the weakest thing is first. And then whoever gets the weakest thing is going to drag it off and start eating it. He doesn't care about working with his friends. He's not worried about, you know, making sure that they take the whole group out. He's just worried about his belly being full. So all of a sudden now you have seven ghouls on five dudes. And then all of a sudden the next weakest person gets picked off maybe two of them do it together so they share the meal but all of a sudden you're down to five ghouls as these other two ghouls drag off this other one because i mean one of the things that they do is they paralyze you you get paralyzed they drag you off into the darkness and they start feeding on you while you're still alive who does that with ghouls that's exactly how they should be played but who does that nobody does that they you got eight ghouls coming at you maybe they take advantage of their stealth trait maybe they have them stealth in a little bit maybe they take advantage of their dark vision maybe they attack you in the middle of the night But I have almost never seen anyone play that scavenger type where, like, all of a sudden the numbers are dropping as your party number is dropping. And they're off in the corners screaming as their, you know, their intestines are being eaten. I, I think I think I, I think you're absolutely right that those are tactics that they would use. Those are certainly you want to make sure that your uh, encounters, your fights, that the things they are using, the tactics that make sense for them to use. You know, animals should flee when they take, you know, really any hit. You know, especially a predator, you know, uh, it's going to come up and try to kill you. And if it doesn't kill you in the first round or you're, doesn't have you near death, it it's lost. It's going to go away, you know. But, I mean, there's also the whole concept of, like, you know, like a cornered, wounded creature kind yeah. of thing. Oh, sure, you know? like, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, if, 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 yeah, if, if it's, it knows if it can safely leave, if it it's will starving safely to, leave. If it's starving to death, it's probably going to fight to the death. But if it's not, then you shouldn't necessarily have a fight to the death. Yeah, don't but I think I, I think one, one thing, like, a lot of GMs might have an issue with is when they do use the tactics that make the more sense, sometimes that's when you get total party kills. You know, when you have a ghoul, you knock out someone and the ghoul drags that person off and you lose the ghoul. Well, if they keep attacking that person, that person's dead in a couple rounds. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's nothing they can do. So, yes, that's interesting for the rest of the party. They have to go try to save them. But at the same time, it's if they don't or can't get to them, you've just killed a character. So when uh, my advice would be when you are uh, trying to create unique encounters or you're, if you flavor up. Uh, your your uh, your baddies. Um, keep in mind what your players can do and what they can handle. Of course, that's always something you want to be doing as a GM. Um, sometimes it can be it can be difficult. Uh, I I was in a situation as a player where we were out. We were a seventh or eighth level group, and we were outmatched by CR ones. Like they just had so such an advantage on us. Their ability was able to slow us down, and we couldn't get to them. And didn't didn't come close to wiping us. But boy, if they'd have been a little bit tougher with the same abilities, they probably could have. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things you want to think out. And you know what? Hey, total party kills aren't always a bad thing. Um, especially if the players bring it on themselves. Yeah, but, and it's also okay to kill one player every now and then. You know, I mean, maybe the ghouls only get away with one person. You right. know what I mean? And that one person died, and that sucks. But again, remember, they're going to go after what they perceive as right. the weakest person. Doesn't mean that they are the weakest person. It's right. who they perceive as the weakest person. Which is which is why my, well, my advice isn't don't use the tactics. Yeah. It's make sure that you're aware of what can happen mm-hmm. and that you're – you're either willing to go through with it. Maybe you can give the players an out, you know, if you can see a really bad thing is about to happen or don't, you know, as we've talked about before, killing, killing PCs, nah, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, we talked about it before. Like that's that's the DM's discretion. We're just talking talking that trying to talk about how to spice things up, right. you know. So talking tactics. Uh, I think we've gotten locale and tactics, you know, pretty much covered so we can go on to uh, what our uh, one listener. more thing about environment actually that I want to bring up is just really quick just weather. Oh, yeah. That's something yeah. you can also throw in there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, dudes fighting on roof, rooftops is great. Roof, dudes fighting on rooftops in the middle of a, a rainstorm, even better. Because yeah. now, now everyone can slip, and also it's more epic. Mm-hmm. Also, before we move on, I just want to do a quick note. If you guys haven't been listening to the podcast, the previous episodes, we did actually have a full show talking about killing off PCs, total right. party kills. Right. Um, if you haven't checked that out, definitely give it a listen. It's, it's good information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the the topic of weather real quick, I mean, yeah, like, you know, monsoon, you know, like horrific weather, too. Not just like, oh, it's raining out, but like, you know, it could be a monsoon, could be a hurricane. There could be twisters going on in the background. Um, Also, another thing that you don't really look at very often is like, you know, just the temperature. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, obviously you could throw a snowstorm out there or it could be snowing out. That's fine. And that obviously affects the terrain. But, like, maybe it's, like, the middle of the summer. It's noontime and it's, like, 115 degrees out. And you all of a sudden exhaustion starts to yeah. kick in during this combat. Like, you're sweating. You're getting dehydrated. Like, say you're intentionally setting up, like, like almost more of, like, a war situation. So it's more of a, 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 a fight of endurance, you know. Right. So, you okay, well, this fight's been going on for 12 rounds. You guys are perspiring. You're exhausted. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the heat's starting to get to you. Like, maybe you start having them make some con checks or they're going to pass out or to start taking some exhaustion damage of, of some sort. Those are things you can throw out there. Just things to think about. You know, this is the kind of stuff that you just want to... We're not telling you the right answers to everything, but if you have this in your head yeah. while you're working on encounters, it's just little things like that can make it a lot more interesting just tweaking it out. High noon on a bright and sunny day. Party's fighting harpies, swooping out of the sun. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to look up, trying to see where they are. They... They've got to shoot because they're ranged. They're flying up there, but they're looking into the glare. Yep. How do you handle that? It's exciting. <laughs> yep. So then moving on to specifically what the uh, the one of our viewers on Facebook was talking about was customizing creatures to make a more interesting combat. Mm-hmm. How do you go about customizing creatures? Honestly, uh, when, when I customize a creature, I think of just... Uh, I'm able to think of it as numbers. I think of their stat block and then what I want them to do. So if I if I want a bruiser, I think, okay, uh, how tough is my group? How many hit points should this thing have? How What should it to hit be? How much damage should it put out? You know, and then what's the flavor I'm looking for? So, you know, if, you know, if these guys are, you know, uh, say it's a superhero fight and they're going up against, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, like a sort of an X-Men style team, you know, but not quite the same, then, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that all of them have their different abilities, you know, and that they're, they're throwing their different abilities out there, but you want to flavor it up. You want, you'll want the one guy who can brute, you know, do some brute strength stuff. Another guy who's, you know, maybe quicker, does more, more actions, that sort of thing. Um, But really I just, a lot of times I'll think of it in, in the numbers, you know, uh, if I have to roll quick monsters, it's that's actually something I, I feel like is one of my strengths. Quick monster. Okay, this thing has plus three to hit five five hit points. You know, I, I, I don't care, you know. Um, the real flavor I, at that point for me comes in the description. I will describe a thing to you and then maybe, oh, it's a fire monster, so I'll have it do extra fire damage, you know. Um, but you can certainly look through your monster manual or other creatures um, and, and pull out stuff there, you could, 
always find a monster that has very similar statistics to what you want the players to go after, but just call it something else. Yep. Reskinning, it's an excellent tool. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have two tricks or two bits that I wanted to, to quickly touch on each of them for customizing combat. One is the fact that in my games that I run, rarely are every combatant in the fight there right at the beginning of the first round. Yep. I often have reinforcements show up or people were hiding or behind cover, extras come in. That allows me to adjust the situation on the fly. Right. I can add a few extra guys coming out of hiding that weren't there when I originally planned it because my party seems to be cruising through everything easily. Or some of the people that I had hidden turns out just aren't magically aren't there anymore because they've been having a my PC has been having a really tough night. Yeah. And what's out there already is going to challenge them. Right. Um, so I've found by getting my PCs used to the fact that the fights don't start with every with all of the cards on the table allows me to adjust on the fly to see how it goes. The other big one that I love for customization is weaving the story into the encounters. Right, definitely. Um, I could go on about this for a while, but uh, in short, what it comes down to is there's a difference between having a fight with a dragon and having a fight with Vorthnax the Terrible, who is this great red dragon that's been terrorizing the countryside, carried off an NPC, strafed the party, they fought, they've tracked it down, they've gone after it, taken out its minions, and there's a story behind this battle. The PCs aren't just there fighting this thing because it's the next thing that the GM put in front of us. They're there because of a reason, and they want to be there, and they're invested in how this turns out because they're going to make the world a better place or achieve their goals or what have you. Mm -hmm. I think getting that storyline involved in those combats makes people think more about what's going on rather than just numbers and dice being thrown at each other. Yeah, kind of building off of that, another important thing to remember is, like, pretty much in every combat situation, regardless of the goals or intentions of your party, there is goals and or intentions of your monsters or NPCs. The monsters aren't going to attack for no reason, in theory. You know, like, oh, there's always exceptions to the rules, but without getting into that kind of debate, 99.9% of the time, you're not going to have a monster or an NPC engage in a combat without there being a reason. Maybe they're guarding a gate, and the PCs are trying to get through that gate. You know, maybe it's a, a monstrous creature, and they're extremely hungry, and they're there to feed, but still their intent is to get a full belly, not to fight to the death. You know what I mean? Like we talked about before, it's okay for, you know, animals to run away. You know, if they see that they're outnumbered or, or, or overpowered, they're just going to leave. Or maybe, you know, it's, you know, something where, like, you're there to kill it, and it's fighting for its life, and that's all there is to it. Like, it's just, you know, in its mind, it's like, you die or it dies. So it's going to come out tooth and nail and give you everything thing it's got there's a lot of different reasons for a combat but there's always you know really in theory 99 of the time there's you know cause and effect there's an objective you know like if you have some humanoids that are guarding a prison the pcs are trying to get into the prison the guards might not necessarily just stay at the front gate and fight to the death maybe one or two or all of them fall back to regroup with the next set of defenses or maybe at least one of them runs off to set off the alarm as they're trying to get into the you know the prison there should be things that are happening that are on your mind 
that you know that's going and playing throughout like remember that time is still passing time hasn't frozen during these combats so you could also have the guard who says you know what my paycheck's not big enough for this it takes off yeah yeah um which i think is also useful because if you have your antagonists your monsters or whatever fight to the death all the time the pcs are always going to fight them to the death right right if you have them run away surrender try to negotiate you're going to open up the options to be able to do other things and it will also open up the options for the pcs to maybe think hmm, maybe we need to be willing to run away or negotiate or surrender when things start going poorly for us Right, exactly. So there's a lot of different ways to approach, you know, you know, these encounters, but you know, you should always have these, you know, what, you know, like the whole concept of like, you know, like when the actor looks at the director and says, what's my motivation? What are these monsters? What are these antagonists? What are these NPCs? What are their, what's their motivation? Why are they in this combat? Why are they going to potentially be in a combat? Would they try to avoid the combat? You know, and again, you know, we're, we're touching on specifically how to spice up the combat, but you know, you should have these things in mind again, like, you know, if you're going, you're trying to invade the prison first lines, you know, clearly losing the fight. I would think depending on the situation, depending on the monster and depending on your choice as the DM. But a lot of the times that group might fall back to the next line. Like, look, we're clearly losing this, you know, like let's fall back. We have another interior, you know, another interior wall and, you know, another perimeter to try to fall back to get some reinforcements, set off the alarm, let people know we can, you know, you know, like exactly, you know, start setting off some, some more, um, um, uh, you know, hope that they'll set off some traps or get some more defenses in place. But if we're going like why stay here and you know and just die needlessly you know there's no point to it um you know again the whole if you're there to kill the monster the monster's going to fight to the death and that in my my opinion a lot of fights kind of start off with like i'm going to throw a couple things at you and see how you handle it if you're there to kill me like say i'm a well maybe i'm not something as powerful as a dragon but say i'm something like I don't know, a Rakshasa, <laughs> you know, you come at me, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, let me just kind of like tag you and see what happens. I'm like, I'm going to freaking throw everything I have at you. You're here to kill me. It's either you or me. You're going down, you know, like yeah. right off the bat, like I'm going to try to dominate you so you can kill your friend. You know, while you're killing your friend, I'm going to be over here killing this guy who seems a little bit weak. And then pff, I'm outie. Like you guys deal with yourselves. I don't even care. I'm just like, you know, you or me, pff, it's going to be you. It ain't going to be me. See you later. Bye. So these are just, you know, things, you know, like how ferocious you could have, you know, you should have your encounters. I think a lot of, you know, and again, in my experience, and this might not be true of you, a lot of DMs kind of like kind of gently jab the stick at the party because they're worried about how much they can handle. And that's fine. I understand the concept of that. But if you're looking at it from the, you know, your monster's tactics, their perspective, they might not gently poke the stick. They might just come out freaking breathing fire like, you know, the fire breathing dragon should. And see what, you know, see where the chips fall, and then you can adjust from there, at least. You know what I mean? And I understand the concept of you don't want to TPK right off the bat. But I think these are just, you know, things that, again, things that I'm, I'm just trying to put ideas in your heads. You know, you know like, try to, to, to tweak your, your thought, you know, your perception of how, you know, how you're approaching things. Not everything I'm saying is necessarily right in every situation. And maybe you might think I'm wrong in everything that's coming out of my mouth. But it's all a matter of opinion. I'm just trying to put some ideas out there. Um, so I think kind of in summation, if you want to spice up your encounters, add in variety, make it interesting, use the locales, use the tactics, use the intelligence, and make sure that you're looking at the encounters and making sure that they fit what you're trying to do with the story at that point in your game.
So we're wrapping it up for this week. We are available. We will take uh, requests for topics or just general questions that have been brought up now on uh, Facebook. We are available on Twitter, GMS Studios. Message board links on our website as well, GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com. And we are here every Tuesday with new shows or new information, new topics. And we will see you the next time that we are in the studio.